Amen. So, I want us to look at Matthew 24, verse 1 through 3, and we're going to set up this message on the return of the Lord. Now, Jesus and the disciples are coming out of the temple, and that's where this picks up, Matthew 24. Then Jesus went out and departed from the temple, and his disciples came up to show him the buildings of the temple. And they were bragging on the beauty and the splendor of this incredible temple of God. And Jesus said to them, do you not see all these things? Assuredly, I say to you, not one stone is going to be left upon another that shall not be thrown down. Everybody say, wow. It's like if I told you right now, uh, before long, Fort Worth is going to be gone. Just gone. You would say, what? And you know what you would say next? When will these things be? And that's what they said. Let's look at it. The uh, very next verse. And he came to them privately saying, or they came to him saying, tell us, when will these things be? When is this going to happen? And what will be the sign of your coming? And at the end of the age. Now notice Jesus did not refute the question. Jesus didn't say, what are you talking about? I'm not coming back. Jesus agreed with the question, and Jesus answered the question. So clearly, the Lord Jesus Christ fully anticipated returning a second time. Okay? Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. And I pray that you will help us to get hold of the times in which we live. That we would be, Lord, like those spoken of in the Old Testament, that they understood the times. Open our understanding. Give us ears to hear and eyes to see what Jesus has spoken. In your mighty name we pray. Amen. Turn to your neighbor and tell him, I believe he's coming soon. And you can be seated. <clears throat> now, I just want you to notice that after Jesus um, was or spoke this about the temple being leveled, they asked him three questions. When will these things be? What will be the sign of your coming? And what will be the sign of the end of the age? And Jesus answered accordingly and predicted things near and things far away. Predicted things close that the disciples would see in their time. And then he went way down the tunnel of time and spoke about our day. So first, the temple... Jesus said would be destroyed. Now about 40 years later, just so you know a little bit of history, 40 years later or so from the time Jesus spoke this, Titus and the Roman legions entered Jerusalem and they totally leveled this incredible temple. A million Jews and then some were destroyed, were slaughtered. And it was a terrible, terrible slaughter. Uh, awful things I can't even really relay to you on a Sunday morning. It was just a terrible thing. And it happened because they had not known the time of their visitation and had rejected and even crucified the Son of God. So the temple was leveled. Not one stone was left on another, just like Jesus said. Now, I ask you a question. If he was right about that, then is he not right about the rest of what he said? I mean, he was right about that 100% accurate. It happened just like he predicted. So then the second question, they said, well, then what are going to be the signs of your coming 
And what will be the signs of the end of the age? And those two things really are one and the same. What's going to be the signs of your coming? What can we look for? And what will be the signs at the end of the age? Now, what Jesus responded to didn't pertain to them because they would have all died and, and gone to be with the Lord by the time these things happened. But he was, he was speaking to you and to me. He shared with them things to look for right before he returned. Now, the whole reason they even asked him that question was because they knew the Bible talked about the Messiah coming once and the Messiah coming again. They knew the Old Testament prophecies. They knew what the Bible predicted, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, minor prophets, Micah, predicted the return of Jesus a second time. He came the first time as the Lamb of God. He comes the second time as the Lion of Judah. He came the first time to die for our sins. He comes the second time to judge the world. That's what they knew. The Bible says in the book of Revelation, John writes, Behold, he is coming with clouds, and every eye shall see him, and even those who pierced him. And all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. He'll come again. Now, that's not the rapture of the church. The rapture of the church is not seen by every eye. The rapture of the church is mysterious. It happens like a thief in the night. The trumpet will blow. The dead in Christ will rise first, and those who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. That's the rapture of the church. The second coming is seen by every eye on earth. Every eye shall see him. Even those who pierce him, all the tribes, all the ethnos is the Greek word ethnos or ethnicities. All the ethnicities of the world will see him and mourn because of him. They'll be mourning because they missed him. They missed a chance to come to him. And by the time he returns in the second coming, it will be to judge the world. It will be eternally too late to come to him. Now notice that First, in Matthew 24, Jesus gave many general signs he, he, that you probably have heard messages about. He, he talked about the beginning of sorrows. He said, it's going to be like a woman going into birth pangs. The birth pangs grow closer and closer together with increasing frequency and intensity until the baby is born. He said, in the same way, there is going to be an increase in the intensity and the frequency of earthquakes, famines, pestilence, wars and rumors of wars, betrayals, and so on and so forth that he mentions in Matthew 24. But then he gave two other signs that I want to look at in the next two weeks. He talked about two other things that I've never preached on in a, in a whole message this way. But he talked about the sign of Noah and the sign of Lot. I want you to listen to what Jesus said in Matthew 24, verse 37. First talking about Noah. And, and remember, keep in mind, he's answering the question, what will be the signs of your coming and of the end of the age? So Jesus is answering the disciples. And he says, as the days of Noah were, so also will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and they did not know until the flood came and took them all away. So also will the coming of the Son of Man be. Do you get that? He's saying 
there, the, the same thing that was happening during Noah's time is going to be happening in the day when Jesus returns a second time. Now, you've got to go to the book of Luke to pick up what he said about Lot. Because Luke adds this that Matthew did not, that Matthew didn't. Luke 17, verse 28, Jesus goes on answering the question. He says, the world will be as it was in the days of Lot when I return. People went about their daily business, eating and drinking, buying, selling, farming and building, until the morning that Lot left Sodom. Then fire and burning sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. Now I want you to know something. Jesus affirmed the story of Noah and the flood. And Jesus affirmed the story of Sodom. To Jesus, the great flood and the judgment on Sodom were historical realities. So when these people go around saying, oh, there was no great flood, and that didn't really happen to Sodom, and, and if it did, it was uh, like a, uh, you know, something happened naturally, like a volcano blew up or something. But no, Jesus said the fire came from heaven. And he said that God sent the great flood. So if Jesus accepted it, that's good enough for me. Amen? There was a great flood. Now, Jesus lets us know that the days of Noah and the days of Lot and the time period in which he returns are going to have striking similarities. So first, knowing that, then what were the days of Noah like? What was going on in the days of Noah that Jesus said, it's going to look like that when I come back? Well, thankfully, Genesis 6 tells us a lot about the days of Noah. Now, i got to tell you right now, this isn't going to be pretty. And you say, well, then why are you preaching it? Because Christians need to know the truth, and I want you to understand. See, we're not supposed to be like people in the dark. We're supposed to be people that are in the light and that understand the times. And so if Jesus answered this question knowing that it didn't pertain to the disciples that asked him the question, but that it reached way down in time, then there's something he wanted us to know. Amen? So Genesis 6 tells us four things. It gives us four characteristics of Noah's generation that will characterize our world before Jesus returns. This is what we can expect to see. This is what we can expect to observe with our own eyes as his appearance draws near. Now, I want you to say them with me. They are great apostasy, great wickedness, great violence, and great apathy towards God's warnings. Well, that's a jump up and shout message. But it's the truth. And I want you to understand why when you look at our culture and our world today, you cannot believe what you're seeing. Now, first we see that the days of Noah were a time of apostasy. What is apostasy? It's not backsliding. If somebody backslides, they fall off into some kind of sin, but they never really lose their faith in Christ and they don't renounce Christ. They don't abandon the faith. They just backslide and get messed up in something and eventually, sooner or later down the road, God gets hold of them and they turn. But apostasy is when a person abandons the faith. They renounce the faith. An apostate is somebody who knew the truth, walked in the truth, was aware of God, aware of the realities of God, and yet they 
decided they were going to walk away, and they renounce him. They deny him. They walk away from him. They abandon the faith. And the Bible says that in Noah's time, there was a great apostasy, and it's described in the first two verses of Genesis 6. Let me read it to you. It's not going to sound like apostasy when I first read it, but I'll explain it to you. It says, Now it came to pass, when men began to multiply on the face of the earth, and daughters were born to them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were beautiful, and they took wives for themselves of all whom they chose. Period. Now we say, well, what's wrong with that? That was just people getting married. Key words here are this, and I want you to say them with me. Sons of God, daughters of men. Those are the two key phrases in those verses. So we got two people we need to identify. The sons of God and the daughters of men. Okay, first of all, who are the sons of God? The sons of God refers to the righteous lineage of Seth. Now remember with me that Adam and Eve's first two boys were Cain and Abel. And what did Cain do to Abel? He killed him. Cain became the first murderer. And if you look at Cain and his lineage, his descendants, they were evil. His descendants became the enemies of God all through the Bible. Some of the giants came from the descendants of Cain. But then they had a third son, and his name was Seth. And the Bible says that, they, that God comforted Adam and Eve by this new boy, this new child, Seth. And we see that Seth's lineage was righteous. It was a godly lineage. As a matter of fact, it says that Seth's descendants began to call on the name of the Lord. And that means they were seeking God, wanted God, longed for God, were calling out to God, had a heart for God. Seth's descendants. So the sons of God refers to those of Seth's lineage. That was the sons of God. And they produced righteous men. If you look at Seth's descendants, there were men like Methuselah who lived longer than any other man, nine, 900 and something years he lived. I think 967, something like that. So when he was 400, he was just starting to date. Okay? Then you had Enoch. Enoch was another descendant of Seth. Enoch was raptured. Enoch in the Old Testament was raptured and taken to God and said he did not see death because he feared and walked with God. And then another one of Seth's descendants was Noah. So he had all these righteous men, these godly men were in the lineage of Seth. And that was the sons of God identified in Genesis 6. Now, watch this. Seth's descendants, according to Genesis 6, began to defect from a solid walk with God. And here's what they did. They began to intermarry with the daughters of men. And who were the daughters of men? It was the female descendants of Cain. They were not godly women. They didn't seek God. They didn't have a heart for God. And so what happened was the descendants of Seth, who had originally started out right, they began to compromise their walk with God. They began to walk away from God. And they began to intermarry with and compromise themselves with these women. And they apostatized in the process. 
They, they lost their walk with God. They made a choice. I have him or I can have these women. And the Bible says they chose the women. And here's what happened to them. They began to walk according to the lusts of the flesh instead of faith toward God. The Bible says that the sons of God, Seth's lineage, looked and lusted after the beauty of the daughters of men, and having looked, they took. You know, we say this about lust and love. Lust can't wait. Love always waits. Love has no problem waiting. Lust has a real problem waiting. And these men were walking in lust. It says they took these women. Now, the word took is from a Hebrew word that almost always means to seize forcefully. So there was this, well, let me just put it this way. There was no romance involved. There, there was no love. There was no courting. There was no seeking God over their decision to get married. They just, they just decided to walk after what seemed right in their own eyes. And their eyes and what they saw began to rule their life. And they looked and they took. And not only that, but they committed polygamy. Clearly, they took many wives. They, they well, I like that one. She's pretty. And they took her. That one took her. That one took her. And so they were living according to the flesh. They apostatized. They lost their walk with God. So we have a righteous people who apostatized away from faithfulness to God and descended into a life of lust and compromise. As a result, here's what happened. They became indistinguishable from the lost and fallen world around them like many believers today. Let me tell you something. If people look at your life and they can't tell the difference between you and somebody that lives in the world, there's something wrong with your faith. Don't shout too loud now. Well, that one went over big. We have to edit out all that clapping back there. No, I'm seriously, folks. Listen, when Jesus comes into your life, he makes a difference. People ought to be wondering, what's wrong with you? Or what's right with you? So watch this now. It was at this very time when it says that the sons of God intermingled with the daughters of men. It was at this very time in the very next verse that God says, my spirit shall not always strive with man. My spirit shall not strive with man forever. Stop a minute. Watch this. Look, why would God say that? Because God was saying, I've tried to reach you. I've tried to talk to you. I've tried to woo you. I've tried to convict you. I've tried to tell you the truth. I've tried to get you away from what you're doing and intermingling with these women and with this lifestyle and with this belief system that is not yours. But you have allowed yourself to be compromised and now you have apostatized. So I'm letting you know that now I'm putting a time limit before I bring judgment. So God says, next, in the same verse, Yet his days shall be 120 years. Now, he is not saying there that man was going to live 120 years now. He wasn't saying you're going to live 120 years. Here's what he was saying. 120 years from now, if you don't repent and turn, I'm going to send judgment. The hourglass was turned upside down, church. Do you know that it was here 120 years later? From the time God uttered this, and you can track this in the Scripture, it was 120 years later that Noah walked into the ark and God shut the door and the water began to fall. Please understand with me today that a human being or a nation 
cannot thumb its nose at God and grievously sin against God and not eventually come under judgment. Now, I know we don't hear much about this anymore, and that's too bad. That's sad, because we should. Because, listen, it says the righteous understand judgment, but the wicked don't understand it. So if we're supposed to, as God's righteous, blood-bought people, we should understand judgment. And can I tell you, I, I, I know that if America doesn't turn, America is going to come under judgment. Oh, don't say that, Pastor Jeff. Well, it's the truth. What do you expect me to say? I'm reading the Bible. Okay? 120 years from that time, the flood came. In the New Testament, Paul the Apostle wrote that there would be a great apostasy, just like in the days of Noah, before the return of Christ. He says in 1 Timothy 4, verse 1, Now the Holy Spirit tells us clearly that in the last days, some will turn away from the true faith. That's apostasy. And they will follow deceptive spirits and teachings that come from demons. And our culture is loaded today with teachings that come from demons. Teachings that refute the blood of Jesus, the reality of heaven and hell, the word of God. As it was in the days of Noah, Jesus said, so shall it be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. So what can we expect to see as the church, the real church, the blood-bought church, gets brighter and brighter and more and more ready as a bride ready to meet her groom? Then outside, the, church, the, the world is going to be getting darker and darker and darker. And the Bible says that first there's going to be an apostasy. Now the second thing that's in, in Genesis 6 that, it, that is a mark of Noah's day was great wickedness. Listen to chapter 6, verse 5. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Now, think about that statement. What a picture that not one time, let me try to put this in English, they had reached a place in Noah's day that not one thought that arose in the minds of men were righteous, clean, holy, or God-honoring. Not one. God looked. God saw. God x-rayed that ancient world. And he said, never once does a honoring, God-honoring, righteous, good thought enter their mind. Every underlying motivation behind each and every thought was only evil continually. No wonder God finally said, I'm going to have to judge it. A total corruption of men's character had occurred. Now let me ask you a question. Do we see this happening in our world today? A corruption of character? A departure from God and His, his personality, His characteristics, His attributes? Do we see a departure from Him? One commentator writes about Noah's day. What an awful character does God give of the inhabitants of Noah's time. They were wholly sensual. The desires of the mind overwhelmed and lost in the desires of the flesh. Their souls no longer discerning their high destiny, but ever minding earthly things so that they were sensualized and brutalized, not retaining God in their knowledge, and they lived only to chase their own desires. They were all corrupt within and all unrighteous without. Religion no longer existed. Piety was gone, and every form of sound words had disappeared. And the lineage of Cain and Seth were now totally mixed together. 
Jesus said, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be. So again, as the church gets brighter and brighter seeking him, and I hope to be one of those churches, out there we're going to see a decline. We're going to see a departure from the faith, from those that profess faith, and we're going to see great wickedness. And I think we already do. I'm stunned. Every day that I wake up and read the news, I'm stunned at yet another step down that America has taken. It's amazing to watch. It's breathtaking. And now another thing in Genesis 6, it reveals that there was also in Noah's time a great violence, great violence. Verse 11 says, now God saw that the earth had become corrupt and was filled with violence. So corruption went hand in hand with violence. Now let me give you a principle of life. Inward corruption always leads to outward violence. Let me put it another way. The further a person or a society gets away from God, the more likely they are to become violent. So is it any wonder that we're living in a very violent day? And church, let me tell you, it's only going to get more so. It's going to become more violent because men are departing from God. And Jesus said, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be. You're going to see people departing from the faith. You're going to see people walking in great, breathtaking wickedness. And you're going to see a spread and proliferation of violence. I wish I could tell you something else, but this is what Jesus said. Another commentator writes about Noah's time. The earth was filled with violence in Noah's time, with doing injury to the persons and properties of men, with oppression and cruelty, by tyrannical decrees and unrighteous judgments, with violent attacks and robberies and rapes and murders. Wow, what a laundry list. No wonder we're afraid to go out at night and walk alone. No wonder we're afraid to go out there in many downtown streets. People won't even go anymore. They might experience the knockout game. They might be held up. Violence is happening in our world right now just for the sake of violence. It's random. There's not even a purpose for it except to commit an act of violence. That's the day we live in. So Jesus said you're going to see great apostasy, great wickedness, and great violence in the, as it was in the days of Noah, right before I return, that's what it's going to look like. But there was one more sign, and I saved the best for last, that Jesus himself talked about. I'm going back to the words of Jesus. In Noah's day, there was great apathy towards God's word and God's warnings. There was apathy. This is what Jesus meant when he said, in Noah's day, I'm quoting Jesus now, Quote, they were eating and drinking, marrying, giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and knew not until the flood came. I used to read that and say, well, what's wrong with that? Eating, drinking, I do that. Marrying, I'm married. Giving in marriage, I marry people all the time. So what's wrong with that? And the more I studied it, the more it became clear to me. You know what was wrong with it? It shows that in Noah's time, it was business as usual. They were utterly unaware of approaching judgment. They had no idea that their wickedness had reached up to the heavens and filled the nostrils of God. They had no idea that God had already set a time limit and the hourglass was already turned upside down. They had no idea that their days were numbered. They were completely oblivious to it. And when you think everything is okay, you know what you do? Business as usual. Eating, drinking, marrying, 
giving in marriage, farming, building, buying, selling, business as usual. We've got nothing to worry about. Everything is just fine. Everything is great. And that's exactly the way they were in Lot's day. You know what they had done? They had totally ignored the warnings of Noah. Noah was not just a builder. The Bible tells us, listen to this, 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 5, God did not spare the ancient world when he brought the flood on its ungodly people, but he protected Noah, and look what it says about him, a preacher of righteousness and seven others, his family. I kind of get the idea. His family was just going along to get along. Noah had the word from God. And God had appeared to Noah and said, Noah, I'm going to judge the earth. I'm going to take everything out. Everything's going to die. But two of every species. And Noah, you are to build an ark. And the Bible says in Hebrews that Noah moved with fear, built an ark. And he built with one hand and he preached with the other. And you know what he said? He said, judgment is coming. God is going to judge this world, but you have time to repent. So repent, repent and turn to God. And every day, but you know what they did with Noah? They humored him. He was the brunt of every joke. When the little kids went off to school and passed the boat that was being built, they would kick each other and nudge each other and look at him and wave to the funny old man and humor him. His parents said, oh, there's just something, there's a screw loose, there's a marble loose in his head. He, he's building a boat and there's no water. Just, just, just say, hello, Noah. And they did not take him seriously. But every day, Noah stood and said, judgment is coming, a flood is coming, God is going to send wrath, you need to turn. And Noah is a picture of the New Testament church that stays right with God, that speaks the word of God to the final generation and says to our generation what Noah said to his Turn now while there is time. Turn now while you can. The day is going to come when God is going to shut the door like he did on the ark. Because the day came when God said to Noah, go in, walk in, get into the ark, take your family. All the animals and creatures are there. I want you now to walk in. And when they were in, the Bible says, God shut the door. And great, big, quarter-sized raindrops began to fall. And the Bible says they knew not until the day Noah entered the ark. Every day for 120 years, Noah had preached and nobody listened. He didn't have one convert. Universal apathy to the warnings of God. You know, you can hear the gospel so many times, you get immunized. You can hear the word of God so many times, you get inoculated. And you can't get convicted anymore. Jesus said, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be. So what can we expect to see as Jesus gets ready to come back? Here's what we can expect to see. Great apostasy. We're going to see, as we're already seeing, large swaths of the professing Christian church are going to walk away from God and defect and apostatize. Listen, we're already seeing denominations, whole denominations that used to be the bulwark of the truth, used to be bulwarks of the truth, used to stand for the truth of God's Word, throwing it out the window. Denominations that used to preach the Scriptures, now marrying people of the same sex, ordaining people living in perversion, threw the Bible out the back, 
No longer look at it. To them, it's antiquated, old-fashioned, irrelevant, meaningless. We need to do what looks right to us. We're watching a great apostasy right now. Thank God for churches that have not apostatized. Thank God for churches that still preach the blood, still preach heaven and hell, still preach righteous living and crucifying yourself. Thank God for that. Second thing we're going to see with our own eyes, great wickedness. The character of our Christ-rejecting world can be expected to grow worse and more depraved and more godless as time goes on. Paul knew this, and Paul gives us a laundry list of the character that will exist in the hearts of men who don't know Jesus. He says, know this, that in the last days perilous times will come. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. They will have a form of godliness, but they will deny its power. That's the character sketch of last day man apart from God third thing we can expect to see is great violence. Violence increasing. Hear a lot about peace. These, oh, we're going to have peace, peace, peace. But you know what the Bible says? While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman and they will not escape. There's not going to be world peace until the Prince of Peace comes back. And we can expect to see great apathy towards God's warnings. Uh, much of our culture today won't even listen to a gospel message. They won't even give you the time of day if you start talking about Jesus. Peter said, above all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, what happened to the promise that Jesus is coming again? From before the times of our ancestors, everything has remained the same since the world was first created. In other words, time is going to, you, the, the cycles of time and the events of life just the wheel of life is going like it always has. But then Peter continued, the Lord isn't really being slow about his promise, as some think. No, he is being patient for your sake, because he doesn't want anybody to be lost, but wants everybody to repent and be saved. So why is the return of Christ seemingly tarrying? Because there's one more that's going to be saved. There's more that are going to turn. There's another one who's going to say, Jesus, forgive me. In Asia, in Africa, in America, around the world, the eye of God knows that there's still some that are going to come. But folks, one day, that last one will come. And God will turn to Jesus and say, all right, that's it. Go get your bride. Da, 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 da. And we're going to be walking along, doing whatever, and boom, we will be staring at Jesus Christ the one who died for us. And he will take us out of a world that has grown very dark. But you know what? We're the light of the world and we're the salt of the earth and we intend to shine. Here's what Jesus said. When you see all these things coming to pass, lift up your heads. Your redemption draws near. Amen. He's about to come. Can we stand together? Let's give him a hand of praise. Go ahead and praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord.
Now, it's a new year. And I want to know, would you just lift your hands with me towards him? And let's just pray for a second. And say with me, Lord Jesus, I receive your word. Lord, help me to not drift, but to remain steadfast in the faith that is in Jesus Christ. And help me to be part of a modern-day Noah that shares the reality of Jesus with a lost and dying world. I give you my life for this year, Lord. Lead and guide me. In Jesus' name.